go to the Dude Maker Hotline, and uh, we're going to have a very special Wisdom Wednesday. We haven't had Mr. Simpson on since, what, February, maybe, of this year? Pulling him back in. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I should actually do the, uh, uh, I'm not going to play How Deep Is Your Love, David. I, <laughs> But I, I should actually say... <laughs> This is a big moment. Bum, 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 bum. Remember how at the Congress, Mitter Simpson quit, retired to private contemplative life, has withdrawn from, this is his last public appearance. Well, it's not, because he is here today. <laughs> I dragged him out of retirement. Mr. Simpson, good morning, brother Brista. How are you? Hey, Mike, I'm on speaker. Is that going to work out all right? Yep. Yeah, yep, got you clear. Stephen, with you? I got a little, little, uh, what was it? I forgot my, my moniker. What was I, I was, uh, <laughs> what was Mr. Wonder? Oh, little, little Wonderful. Yeah, I got Little Wonderful. Oh, little. <laughs> oh, no pressure or anything, Stephen. Little Wonderful. Oh, dude, that's funny. Actually, hey, Mike, he, you know how demeaning you know it is to uh, get an introduction like you just gave me, and both I have to start tucking my head in, in, in just unabashed modesty, and Steve starts laughing at, at the joke that I'm actually important enough that I get that kind of introduction. So, you know, very, very demeaning. <laughs> well, let me tell you how important you are, as a matter of fact, uh, because your family uh, refused to go quietly into that soft Nova, to that good Nova Sorto night <laughs> back in the 70s and kept alive the dream that there would be a return to the uh, the saying of, uh, and the uh, assistance by the faithful at the traditional Latin Mass. And lo and behold, now here in the city of New Orleans, you have St. Patrick's every Sunday. You have St. Jane de Chantal every Sunday. And I have a chapel, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, uh, most every day of the week. Um, there are young families that have come from parishes across uh, the diocese here. Bishop Amon has uh, warmed up and has actually become a friend. And as I was telling um, um, my uh, um, my friend the other day about, uh, about the confirmations now, I said, you know, somebody, uh, uh, whoever prevailed on Bishop Amen. You're like you know, your 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 excellency. Why have the children, your children, in your diocese confirmed by the bishop of Tyler, Texas? Shouldn't they be confirmed in the diocese that they call home? You know, and uh, this past year, Bishop Amen has conferred upon Father Damien, and I think he did it to Father Ken too. I want to say two years ago, the uh, the the right, if you will, to confirm our young people uh, into the Catholic Church in the old right, right in his diocese. Uh, if your dad doesn't stand up and if your family doesn't stand up, so, so maybe this doesn't happen. I can't say definitively it wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, I do treat you like royalty, and you should own it. <laughs> well, I pray to God I get some credit for all these uh, wonderful happenings that you're talking about. I will say, um, you know, Christ's sake, you raise up sons of, sons of Abraham from rocks or stones. Well, I guess I'm just a stone that he picked up out of the street and, and used to some benefit. 
Well, uh, let's start our uh, our Wisdom Wednesday uh, d- discussion here. Now, Stephen, feel free to chime in. I know you will. Uh, for those of you who don't know, David's uh, son, Stephen, is going to be in a senior at Christendom um, College this year. So he's already got three years under his belt. Um, and for the past two years, Stephen, in the first year, Stephen was learning philosophy. In the last two years, he's been teaching it. So <laughs> I, I partly jest. Stephen is wise beyond his years. Years. Uh, guys, I thought we would talk a little bit about John Senior and, and uh, his books, the, uh, the Destruction of, uh, of Christian Culture and the Restoration of Christian Culture. And David, I have to say, you know, had I not recorded that I am only Catholic again, but I am only Catholic episode that you wrote about that I called the not so nutty professor. I don't know that I would have learned about Professor Senior. And so again, I'm just going to give you credit. Uh, A great thing was done because I am so in love with this book. And I've been telling everyone, dude, don't read anything else. Get this book. Uh, It is just, it's changed my life. It's changed my perspective. I was telling the audience earlier today, I'm like, I'm on the chapter called The Spirit of the Rule, where he talks about the rule of St. Benedict. And David, I read, and Stephen, I read to the audience uh, the part of St. Benedict's rule where, you know, there's supposed to be a porter at the gate to greet people. Because in St. Benedict's rule, it says everyone that comes to the monastery should be greeted as if it's Jesus himself. And then I actually read the part of the rule about how the porter is supposed to have a little hut near the gate, and he's supposed to be old and mature so he doesn't wander off. And then one of our erudite listeners chimed in and goes like, Mike, that is so interesting that you, that you say that because it translates itself even into the secular world. When you go to Walmart, David and Stephen, who's at the door? Old yeah. porters to greet you say, welcome to Walmart. So the rule of St. Benedict is at Walmart. Yeah. Well, you know, Mike, John Senior is another one of these people, and so you talk about kind of the anonymous guy that's in the background that maybe kind of keeps uh, whatever, his little part of Christendom afloat and keeps passing on some, some wisdom. John Senior is relatively unknown, but shouldn't be, because he taught at that university in Kansas, and um, hundreds, I think, is the number of his students went on to become either, uh, well, either convert or revert become religious, they're founding members of Clear Creek Monastery, um, huge, huge influence. It wasn't just him, there's two other professors too, Nellick was one, I can't remember uh, Nellick's first name. Um, you know, Mike, to add to your reading list, you, not that you need any more to read, uh, but so one of his students is a brother at the Abbey in Clear Creek, Father Francis Bethel. I just finished his book, or I finished it a while back. It's called John Senior and the Restoration of Realism. So this is a biography of Senior, but it's more than a biography because it's from a student who was in his classes. So he talks about his methodology a little bit, talks about, his, of course, his early life, talks about why he was such, I, I'll say renegade, but that's not really a good word, but renegade in a right way uh, for all things good and true and beautiful. Um, this book is equally profound, uh, so I'll add that to the list, called John Senior and the Restoration of Realism. Fantastic book, and no, I'm glad you're. Uh, I'm glad you're into him now, and I'm glad that um, you did that great promo of him in the in the Nutty Professor. Uh, it's uh, okay. So the book is. Um, I, I was telling the audience, David, uh, Stephen, have you read it? No, I've not. But did, uh, is senior on the list of, of of philosophers or people to study in your philosophy course at Christendom? 
No, uh, not that I know of. I mean, he, they might cover him slightly in, in very recent philosophy, but typically, no, we're covering uh, some of the more big names and, and the major contributors to what we believe in contemporaneous society. What about the rule of St. Benedict? Uh, and I, I'm not interrogating you. I'm just curious. No, we, uh, we actually did study the rule of St. Benedict. We read it, um, read his rule in, I believe it was history in the core, I think maybe sophomore year. So what did you think when you read it? <laughs> um, did you try and implement it? Did you did you go to, did you go home and go, Dad? We got to practice the rule of Saint Benedict. <laughs> no, I didn't do quite that. I thought about just running away to a monastery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, might be a great place to hide. You know, uh, David, uh, uh, Mr. McClure sent you and I a copy of that uh, that book written by the uh, the guy with the the pseudonym about uh, don't ever uh, don't ever leave your monastery. Remember the guy's name was Harry Potter, I want to say? Yeah. About the, it was written about a monk, about there's a monster out there, don't ever leave your monster. It's kind of a, uh, there's a play on words there. Uh, in any event, so did it, 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 it did or it did not make you want to go join a monastery? Henry Graham was his name. Oh, the, um, it did. Okay. <laughs> well, David, let's say, uh, now that we have Stephen in and we're talking about the, the, uh, the rule of St. Benedict and how it applies in the modern world, and we've introduced John Senior, and now you've introduced this other book, John Senior and the Restoration of Realism. I told the audience, I said, one of the things about reading uh, a work by a guy or a man like John Senior is he's not a prelate. All right. It's not a Jesuit coming at this from the Jesuit school. He's not coming at it from the Benedictine school, even. He's not coming at it from the Augustinian school. It's just kind of all of those, I guess. And because he's actually taught and he was successful at teaching, um, you know, you're reading the work kind of of a teacher, you know, and there's a um, uh, there, there's a, a line in here that I highlighted so that I could commit it to memory. Um, that he begins this chapter with, which is uh, Asculta Ophidi, Precepta Magistri. And that means uh, literally, uh, hear, O son, the precepts of the, of the teacher or the master. Um, and he says, David, and, and Stephen, since you were in school, he says, that, and I'd never heard this before. He said, university is not a place to do research. A university is a place where friendships are cultivated. How come we don't ever hear this, David? Yeah. No, that's a, I mean, it's, um, it, when we think about the good times in university, like when we think about the famous times, we, we always hear about these cliques of friends. Um, so like the latest iteration being, you know, the turn of the 20th century, where you had the Tolkien's and the Chesterton's and the Lewis's and the Elliot's and everybody else populating you know, um, Cambridge and uh, Oxford and the like. Um, yeah, I, it, it is meant to be um, friendship, and I, I think there's an added little nuance because friendship in our time, like love, has become a, an adulterated word. It doesn't either mean much or it means what it doesn't say or doesn't mean what it says. Um, so it's a, a friendship of these deep questioners, right, which is what catechism is all about. You go there inquiring what is the meaning of the world, why am I here, What's the, by the way, you know, what is the universe, there's a university, um, and it's in finding those things together that brings their hearts in great unison, because they don't find 
all individual things like we do today. We don't get atomized at university. We actually get brought together in a semblance of a great common effort. And then this love naturally develops because they say, okay, well, his abilities are in this vein and my abilities are in that vein, but we're all working for, what's the word, the common good. And all of a sudden we have something. So, no, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And I wish, I do wish people would say it a little bit more um, because we, um, well, I don't know. Maybe Animal House ruined it. Everybody, everybody, everybody goes to school for one thing and one thing only, party, right? Uh, and that's not exactly the same thing as friendship. You know, one of the other things that uh, there's so much here in the in the in the chapter on the spirit of the rule. Uh, if one wishes to understand in depth his personality and life, he can find in the dispositions of the rule the exact image of all the actions of the master, because the saintly man is incapable of teaching other than he lived. I, I it, oh, it, it's so simple. When he's quoting that, now that is he's quoting Saint. Uh, St. Gregory the Great. And then he goes on to make the point, he goes, well, why is he St. Gregory the Great? And he goes, well, he's St. Gregory the Great. How come St. Benedict doesn't have a great after his title? And then John Sr. points out, well, he doesn't need it because in the thousand years since after St. Benedict, every square inch nearly of what would have been called Europe or the old continent that uh, uh, it is Europe, is Christianized, all of it, from Finland down to the tip of Sicily, from uh, the upper part of Iceland all the way down to the Canary Islands, all of it is Christianized. And in Senior makes the point: none of this is going to, none of this happens without monasticism. None of it happens yeah. without monasticism. You mentioned the clergy. Well, you know, Go ahead. You, well, you mentioned earlier, you know, um, <clears throat> Senior not being a prelate and the like. And I'll go one step further. So this that's why I like this biography of him. He he wasn't, well, I won't say wasn't Christian because I don't know if he had the beginnings of it through baptism or not, but he definitely delved into Hinduism, did a great deal of study into it before he moved out west and kind of found um, what he was looking for, the meaning of life and why and how to, how to all integrate it. So... This is a man that uh, I think a lot of people can relate to. Now, he's extremely intelligent and, and very well-read, and, and I guess most of us who are not quite as smart will be a little intimidated by just the breadth of his knowledge. But, um, but he, uh, he, he's, he is kind of every man. I mean, he went looking around for the answers and kind of surveyed the entire uh, panorama of what you might call religion, and uh, and then landed upon this thing, uh, and it clearly once he got a thing in his mind and started de- you know dealing with it daily, his mind was so penetrating he could find the fruit and really get the juice out of it. You know, uh, a lot of us can read a good book and be edified by it, but he seemed to like squeeze out every little bit of uh, of even gre- greater value and then put it in words that that the rest of us can understand and profit from and kind of change our lives by. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's an amazing character, and his focus on Benedict, I think, is accurate. Um, you know, Benedict was very similar. A, a decadent society, he leaves, goes off on his own, and says, well, I can't fix the world, but I can sure try to you know, maintain my little square inch of it. 
And then when people started flowing to him, saying, please take us in, help us be like you, Benedict, he says, okay, well, that's fine, but there's a lot of reordering of yourself that has to be done, and here's how to do it. And so he produces this rule. Now, you, you tell me, Mike, if someone came to you and said, hey, Mike, give me your collected wisdom. Give me a list of 25 things that I should do um, and, and how to do them, not only just how to do them, but how to perfect them. You think you could write that list? <laughs> I don't think I could. Well, you know, I know I couldn't write that list. I, I'd probably get stuck at two. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. Or three, you know? Wake up and sign yourself. <laughs> right, right. Wake up and sign yourself and try to spend the rest of the day seeking you first the kingdom of God. Okay, there's my rule. <laughs> but you, you know well, what? There's, there, there's something else about St. Benedict that, that you find out in Senior's book, and I'm sure I could have found it somewhere else. I just never heard it before. I did not know that he actually went to the door of the university in Rome, and he was enrolled. And he got to the doorstep, and he was getting ready to step across the threshold, and he just stopped and went, do I really want to do this? These people are evil. <laughs> and he went, no, I don't want to do it. And he never even, he, he never had a senior, so he never darkened the, the, the threshold of the university again, and instead turned around and ran the other way to the base of Monte Cassino, and, 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 and there's another part in that, in that chapter where it said that there were some men that were out in, uh, they were out hunting or whatever, and they kept seeing the bushes move. And so, you know, they drew their bow and arrow and they were going to shoot whatever it was. And they called out, you know, hey, does any man go there? And this man arises who has all his beards overgrown and everything. He goes, yes, yes, it is I, it is I, Benedict. And he goes, what are you, and he's in the middle of nowhere. He goes, what are you doing out here? And he goes, praying. <laughs> and then they go, can we join you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, how nice is that? So, the, so the, 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 then you, the, the story then uh, goes to the monastery and then the formation of the rule. Here's an amazing thing. St. Benedict is of the, what, the fourth century, right? Fourth or fifth? Is fifth century four thirty six? My my more my studied son says you're about right. Okay, so that rule survived fifteen hundred years. Then you can't you show what 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 else other than the Gospels has survived fifteen hundred years? Uh, is, is the point, uh, folks? Get. This book, get it at the Founders Trading Post, shop.mikechurch.com, John Sr., The Restoration of Christian Culture. Um, and I believe also, David, that his his point is there's even a, there's a whole couple of pages, I think I might have highlighted in here, where he basically comes to the conclusion and says, like, look, no, I am not saying that we can restore this, like, writ large. God could, but we can't. But what I am saying uh, is that you can do it where you are. Isn't that something that you and I have been kind of preaching for 12 years now? Well, very much so. I mean, I think it's always got to be the point because um, there's a you know, the devil is very crafty. I like to tell people that all the time, remind them of this, because even in our best intentions, he can shift us into something that is quite devious, and we don't even recognize it. Um, you know, so let's just say Christian charity can turn into activism, and all of a sudden activism, for its own sake, you know, or maybe for pride's sake, uh, turns into something that's quite ugly. It's not charity at all anymore. Um, well, you know, see, I think the senior's point is, and our point has always been, 
something has to grow. You plant a seed and it sprouts and eventually it becomes a plant, a fruit bearing plant or a tree or whatever the, you know, the, the purpose of the plant was. But it's not something that you can just you know, plant a seed and then pull it out of the ground with your own strength. It has to grow organically. And so just like the rule did, and it changed European society, whatever's coming for America and whatever's coming for the world at large at this point, it's going to be very organic and almost imperceptible to people. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be based on love, and it's going to be something that um, uh, that genuinely changes people's hearts, and also most probably most importantly the way that they live. And um, <clears throat> and so, I think we're in that moment, Mike. I really do. Like I think that transition is happening. Whether you talk about the homeschooling or you talk about uh, kind of a new um, subsidiary that seems to be budding. Uh, uh, there's a whole mass of people, Latin mass, of course, <clears throat> just the revival of religion in general. All of these things clearly show a growth against, I guess, what you might say is the decay of society mm-hmm. that, that currently exists. Um, but for people, you know, I hate to say it, I, I am impatient and very, <laughs> um, very irascible, and, and I just want it to happen now so I can enjoy a little bit of it. <laughs> uh, but you, again, you can't pull the plant out of the ground and make it grow. You've got to let it grow on its own speed. Well, we're trying to let it go at its own speed. Really, we don't have any choice. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. It's like watching paint dry. It's kind of sit back and go like, all right, I'm waiting for the little seedling to come up. Oh, oh, oh I see green. <laughs> I see green. Yeah, all, all we can do is help it along, right? We can give it water. We can pull the weeds. We can tend some dirt and that kind of stuff. But if we do go try to grab the plant and pull it out a little faster, all we do is ruin it, right? Well, all right, because I don't want to keep you guys. I know, I know you've got uh, stuff to do here today. Let, let me let me switch to a, a subject. Uh, let, let's bring uh, Little Wonderful in here. Uh, Little Wonderful, tell us about your experience at Christendom. And uh, I'm not asking you for personal stories, but do you see that from where you came in Louisiana to now you've met young men and women of your own age from across the United States. Do you see that the the seed your dad is talking about has been planted, at least among some of your contemporaries? Um, I would definitely say that's the case. I mean, just given the fact that you have these kids who are willing to come, you know, across the country to a tiny little Catholic college, you know, where you're not getting, uh, you know, government grants or, or things like that, very difficult, very expensive, um, but they're, they're making do, scraping by, a, a lot of kids working while they're in college and things like that. Um, but, you know, the fact that they're willing to do all of that, and namely for Christianity, for Catholicism, I think that that's an indicator that they obviously um, have their priorities straight and that, yeah, it's starting to, the word's getting out, I guess. How difficult is, is because it's not ubiquitous, and I know that from talking to you. So how, uh, how steep is the climb even for those that are there for the right reasons, though? Uh, because not everyone is on board with that there are serious problems that really need to be addressed, right? Right. No, um, that's definitely true. And uh, I, I did find that I, I kind of assumed when I first got to Christendom that, that all the other kids were going to be a, like, you know, just like me, have virtually the exact same upbringing and whatnot. That's definitely not the case. Um, but so, so there, is, there is certainly a steep climb. I mean, not just, you know, for everyone else. You know, oh, I was perfectly ready. No, not, not me either. I mean, especially just college in general uh, is kind of a steep climb and, and a, a, a large change in, in, in one's life. Um, again, though, 
I think what's most important is the overall general disposition of these people. And, uh, you know, like you were saying earlier, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, right? That's what I think they're doing. And so whether or not they have it all figured out already, whether or not we all have it all figured out and we're, we're ready to you know, retake Christendom, um, if you have that correct disposition and that love of God, then he'll provide the rest. Um, what is the community like in and around Front Royal and around the, uh, the college? Did they know you guys are there? Yeah, they definitely do. Um, it's, it's funny. So you'll find very different types of people, though. You have some that are like, oh, yeah, my kids are at Christendom. Like, oh, cool. And then you'll have other people who go, oh, are you all those guys with that giant chapel? You know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> do they know that the do they know that the Christian part, uh, the, 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 the Christian Catholic part is there? I guess let me rephrase the question <laughs> beyond the chapel. Yes, they do. Okay. And actually, um, it's, it's actually really interesting because I've met some people even just out about in town. And, uh, you know, starting to make small talk to somebody and they go, oh, where, where, you know, where are you from? What are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm going to Christum. And I'll, I've met people before who go, oh, wow. And they're like, that chapel's beautiful. And they say something like, you know, I was, I was raised Catholic or something like that. But it's interesting because, they, you know, I guess just giving that, there's a degree of witness given there from having the school there, having all the kids there, young Catholics that they're meeting. And even though they, you know, as they say, were only raised Catholic and obviously implied don't practice anymore. You kind of can see like in their eyes, though, something like, wow, like I kind of still miss it or something. It's hard to even explain. Right. Um, but especially with that big chapel. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> you can draw for anyone, you know? <laughs> All right. Back uh, back to Big Wonderful. Big Wonderful, uh, 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 one of your favorite subjects these days is how the devil has been so good and so successful. He's so crafty, that prince of this world, in taking our terminology, capturing it, redefining it, flipping it upside down, and then employing against us, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me give you the latest example. Maggie probably doesn't have the, the clip queued up, so I'll just give you the cliff note from John Kirby yesterday talking about that in, in order to ensure combat readiness for, for the United States Armed Forces, it is now an existential. It has to happen or the Army will not survive and will not be combat ready or be able to defend the United States if the United States government is not allowed to and does not then provide abortus, uh, abortion and abortifacient services to every member of the United States military, completely and totally funded by the United States taxpayer, just like you're uh, giving them an MRE before they go into battle. Then he went so far as to say that because they raised their hands and took the oath, we have, and I'm going to quote him now, David, this is where, they, this is where the, uh, the inversion comes. He says because, quote, because they raised their hands and took the oath, we now have a sacred obligation to provide these, uh, these he didn't say these necessary services to them to ensure combat readiness, close quote. And I'm going like, so a female who shouldn't be in combat to begin with, so she can go into battle and go get killed. But before we send her to go get killed, let's take the child, her progeny, let's kill it first, and then send her into combat to go die. And then you call it a sacred obligation? My goodness, in the United States military today. So there's, yeah. a, there's your latest inversion, Mr. Simpson. What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm sad I ever raised my own hand, I guess. You know, look, so I always have to say this so nobody throws rocks at me. I was in the Army 16 years, became a captain. I, I have a, a level of bona fides that I can speak out on these issues, right? Okay. So it's the same thing. That, okay, so the military used to be a training ground in a lot of respects for some very healthy habits, you know, discipline cleanliness, uh, seeing the other person, you know, they say everything in the Army is green, right? You can see the other person, who they are inside versus looking at their outside. All this, So th- th- there are lots of values that used to be gained from the military. Um, uh, you know, authority, uh, obedience, uh, lots of values. Um, but like everything else, you know, we used to use the word democracy for a certain form of government that some people think is good, some people think is bad. By the way, I'm in the latter camp. Right. It, but you might say that it has a value. Even Thomas Aquinas said, asking the common man what he thinks has a value. So that's democratic, right? But but they're using the word democracy for all type of malignant things. Now, apparently, it's, it's, it's democratic to uh, bomb Ukraine, for instance, right? By the right. way, here's a, here's a combination of both of them. Let's take free government, allegedly, under, quote-unquote, democracy, and then let's go bomb a foreign country we have no business even being in, right? And let's potentially cause a world war and do it with that sacred oath military you just talked about. See how? So yes, inversion times a million. All we're doing here is trying to coat every abominable action that we want to do with some idea that it has goodness behind it. And the fact of the matter is, is that goodness has to be assessed outside of us, objectively, externally, meaning does it violate a commandment of God or is it good or bad of its own merit? Not, I want to do this, so let me claim it's good by raising my hand and saying, I swear to God, I really want to do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, but my, how do you stop maniacs like that? Once they start believing that all they got to do is self-ratify, uh, self tell themselves that they're doing a holy thing and they are doing a holy thing, once you get to that level of subjectivism, I just don't think you're turning those monsters around. Sacred obligation, though. You know, the, 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 the thing to me is you want to ape the good, the true, and the beautiful because you know that it has built-in appeal, right? And yeah. as Brother Francis teaches us, every, every man has some, some revealed truth is made available to every man, regardless of who he is or where he is, where he is, where he grows up or whatever. Um, but they want to take that beauty and they want to use the term sacred and they want to flip it upside down. Sacred has, a, I mean, there, there's, things are sacred <laughs> because they're holy, The term, I mean, sacred means holy. Holy set aside um, that which is meant for God uh, or or for the highest things, right? Um, No, and that's what I'm saying. So so what we have is a conflation of a lot of bad philosophies, really. Uh, Relativism, subjectivism, you know, these are all things you can learn from John Sr., bring him back into the mix. These are all things you learn from John Sr. A lot of bad philosophies, all basically, if you had to boil it down to one word, I think really applies, it's a selfishness, which is one of our first primal sins, right? Right. It's a selfishness and saying, and I want to pretend that God validates it. And um, and so that's what they're doing. Of course, mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's the devil making them do it because he's the one who says, 
you know, I, I'm going to go my own way. I'm not going to serve you. But once he did that, he realized, hey, I got to make everybody believe that I'm the one who's right and he's the one who's wrong. <laughs> so he wants everybody to believe that he's the God, not not the real one. Yeah, but uh, then you take sacred and you attach it to obligation. So you now have a holy obligation to kill the soon to be born. Yeah, that's I mean, my you can't make it any more clear than that. That is the spokesman for the president or the regime leader of the United States. Uh, that's pretty much everything you need to know. All right, uh, quickly, let, let, let's do a lightning round. Let's switch gears here. Yesterday, the uh, the House of Representatives in the state of Louisiana and the Senate in the state of Louisiana convincingly and unequivocally overrode Governor Emperor Bell Bonaparte the Fourth's veto of the prohibition that's going to go into law on January first, twenty twenty four, against the mutilation chemically, physically biologically, uh, surgically, of children under the age of 18, uh, providing criminal penalties for those that may perform these procedures in the state of Louisiana. Uh, Edwards, in response to the uh, in response to the overriding of his veto, says he's going to take this to a higher court. Uh, this unconstitutional act waged against a small minority of uh, people and their families, he's going to take it to a higher court. Uh, so the West Point grad, who's supposedly, uh, supposedly a Catholic, uh, couldn't bring himself to say that this is the ethical and moral thing to do. Instead, he said he retreated to this is an unconstitutional uh, act here. But make no mistake about it. The legislature of Louisiana now joins 27 other states. The Old South, the Confederacy, is almost completely restored in lockstep and unison on two things, David. Opposition to killing the soon-to-be-born, and now opposition to mutilating those that did that were born children. Um, there is, and it's, you can look at the map, and it's the center of the continent here, where these things are happening. The left coast is gone. The eastern seaboard above the state of Virginia, uh, 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 above the Old Dominion, is gone. Um, what do you think about this generally? Well, first of all, I'm really shocked. I didn't. I've been. I've been not really following the news much lately. As you know, I'm in my in my shell over here. But I've been catching a few little snippets here and there, and noticing that um, uh, Edwards was in this fight regularly with the with the legislature. I didn't hear that particular one. But basically, what he's saying at this point is he doesn't run Louisiana. He wants <laughs> he, he wants the Fed to run Louisiana like that wasn't already an issue. Exactly. But but it's really it's really sick, right? So. We have this attorney general running for governor who actually is running much more on the, hey, guys, all of our morals have been violated, and they're going to keep on doing it unless somebody stands up to them. we got the guy running on that platform, essentially, and a governor sitting in office who says, no, no, I want to keep going more of the same. Uh, well, hey, I guess God bless our legislature, and God bless uh, anybody who's saying it for morality. Well, let me, uh, I'm looking for the story now. Wait, wait, wait till you hear what A.G. Landry actually said uh, 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 about that, because it's even more profound than that. He said, here it is, A.G. Landry, quote, uh, in a statement, uh, he said that Louisiana now, quote, joins all of its neighboring states in protecting children. He continued, we have sent a signal to America that Louisiana intends intends to strengthen the family unit and to protect children from harmful gender reassignment surgeries. By overriding the governor's veto of Representative Gay Ferment's bill, we send a clear signal that woke liberal agendas that are destructive to children will not be tolerated in Louisiana. And I am proud of those in the legislature who voted to 
to make this override successful. So that is Landry. Now, Ferment said that uh, Mr. Ferment, the Republican uh, from North Louisiana, said, quote, every single southern state has already passed similar legislation to protect their children. We cannot allow Louisiana to become a sanctuary state for the sterilization of innocent children. HB 6048 or 648, simply protects kids from irreversible experimental medical interventions. As you have always said, my friend, there is great wisdom and great uh, practica practical applicability to be found in the parts of the natural law, and you don't even have to bring theology or Catholicism into it. So both Landry and Ferment get it right, basically using natural law and then saying that and the uh, expositive part of the law that we have must also reflect that. Do you agree? Yeah, well, look, I mean, the most basic premise of natural law, like if you had to boil natural law into one sentence or one axiom would be do good, avoid evil, right? Right. And I mean, you got to be a clown not to see that mutilating someone, anybody's body, any part of your body, it doesn't even have to be sexual. You know, if you just want to cut your nose off for no reason, people <laughs> should say, no, stupid, that's bad, right? Um, these things, I, I, again, like, I, the only thing I guess I have regret or, or any type of uh, you know, maybe some questioning about is I don't like having to legislate every aspect of this thing. I mean, if you take natural law at its simplicity, do good, avoid evil, and you see someone doing harm to someone else, like cutting off a member of their body, let's say, um, you should rightfully be able to go over there and arrest them from doing such a thing. And I mean, stop them, not necessarily police arrest, and then uh, punish them for doing the evil. And I really just don't understand why we need legislatures or governors or anybody else involved in all this, except the fact that we are in such an insane world, and now we need to legislate everything to tell people, I guess, what it means to be evil. Um, but no, you're 100% you're right. They, they reasoned rightly. They see an evil being done, and they say, well, we can't let that happen, and there's people pushing for it in what they call the woke agenda, and so we have to rightfully stand up against them. Uh, again, I, I feel like the house is burning down. Instead of us getting out of it, we're trying to we're trying to like all piss on it. But <laughs> hey, you know what? Any, any little bit will help, I suppose. You know. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I, I, I'm listening to you going like he's been listening to the show because it's pretty much what I said. It's a tragedy that we actually have to legislate this. God already has a law that protects children. And protects, you know, it protects their, 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 the potency. Let me go, uh, let me ask a, a little wonderful something then, um, uh, because this is all about transgenderism and about homosexuality and, you know, and any of, of its intended evils being forced now upon children. Recently, we learned that 40 percent of, of, of now young co-eds enrolled at Yale University. Have, are, are either believe they're in the wrong body or that they are going to practice the lifestyle of a homosexual or a bisexual at the, at the, at the least. 40%. The national now average, the Pew Research Center just completed the study in May of this year. The national average of those under 25, Stephen, is now 27%. Of uh, those under 27 believe they're either in the wrong body or that they were born to be lesbians or sodomites. 
you're in college with this. You're at a Christian college. Um, this is not true at Christian while we go out on a limb, but you also work out in the world. What's going on with the youth? Do they really believe this, or are they just aping what the adults are telling them? Um, I think it's a, it's a combination of factors, but ultimately, it, I think it redounds down to, uh, okay, first of all, no, it's not like that at Christendom, thank God. Um, no, I think ultimately what's going on with uh, the youth is it redounds down to, if you reject spirituality, right, then you have these, these kids, everything's matter, right? Everything's matter. So then you have these kids who feel horrible inside because they're living in a state of mortal sin or they never have known God or they don't know what their purpose is in life. And they want to change something, but they believe that all exists is matter. So they go, okay, well, then I'll change what I'm doing with my matter. I mean, it's pretty logical, right? Yeah. The problem is that they just don't have a premise that they should have, which is, no, there's something spiritual about you in your constitution. And what you need to change is a spiritual habit, right? Not just your genitalia. So I think that's really what it redounds to. Well, uh, David, and that's why you call him Little Wonderful. It took him two sentences. It took him, it had taken you and I 20 minutes to explain that. <laughs> No, I thought that was pretty good. I was actually in awe over here. I, I said, I want to pat him on the back. I'm not even there. And I'm going like, yeah, exactly. That's it. Change the matter. Uh, okay. What a great Wisdom Wednesday. Always uh, a pleasure to be with my uh, my, my bristles in arms, David uh, Simpson and his son, Stephen. Stephen, uh, so, so good to hear your voice. Let, let's go break those beers this Friday or Thursday or something over at the at Barley Oak or something, guys. I'm in. Sounds good. All right, sounds good. Hey, uh, Simpsons, uh, always, uh, again, David, thank you for your continuing, um, well, you know, just continuing to participate in the crusade. Crusades bearing fruit. You know, you heard me make that little announcement about what Ross is doing, Ross McKnight. You know, he's got, yeah. he's bringing Michael Matt to town, and, you know, I talked to Rusty about this the other day, and he goes, yeah, Mike, say what you want about Michael, but Michael will bring some people to, to, to the event there. And I'm like, I don't deny that. I'm glad Michael's coming. Um, so yeah, there's great sure. stuff happening here in Louisiana. We're not there yet, but at least I think we're on I, I think we're on to at least something, right? Uh, well, we are and uh, I think you're right when you were diagnosed earlier that there's been a great growth down here and that's because God's at work and you know, he's using Golly, Mike, if you take me and you and make a difference, we can do with really good people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're seeing the good people coming, <laughs> coming aboard. All right, uh, we'll, we'll make plans to have that beer. Uh, David Simpson and Stephen Simpson, uh, uh, thanks for being on Wisdom Wednesday. God bless you, Mary. Keep both of you and your family. God bless you. Take care, brother. All right, brother. See you soon.